This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. On March 15, 2017, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, speaking to the Catholic Lawyers Association, said the following, the country, talking about the United States, has become increasingly hostile to moral beliefs. Then he went on to elaborate on how there is a relentless war on biblical morality. At least to me personally, the saddest thing is that war on biblical morality is waged in many a church today. That is the saddest thing. War on biblical morality and biblical truth is raging. In the United States of America, the bastion of gospel preaching for 200 years and the bastion of Christian mission for over 200 years. But then if you lift up your eyes above and beyond the United States to the rest of the world, you're going to find that there is a relentless war against Christ and against Christianity and against Christians like never before. More than a hundred million Christians today are living under severe persecution. Globally, like never before, this rage and outrage against the name of the Lord Jesus and His followers. Here in the United States, court after court, literally ruling the name of Jesus out of public life. In schools, in Minnesota, and in California, and even Texas, they would allow a dedicated room for Muslim students to pray, and even leave class to go and pray at the appointed time. And they would never allow Christians to even use a classroom before or after school to have a Bible study. And the question that I'm sure in the mind of so many of you, and if it's not, it ought to be, why? Why? Why is this rage against God's holy anointed Jesus and His followers? Well, first of all, what you need to know is this. This has always been and is and always be the case. The faithful remnant will always suffer. Even in the beginning in the Roman Empire, there was an outrage against Christians. Now, Romans worshipped many gods. They were polytheistic. And if the Christians came and said, hey, we have a god named Jesus, they said, hey, the more the merrier, let's add him to the list of gods. But the reason they were hated, the reason they were killed, the reason they were persecuted is because They said, Christ alone is God. But that's not all. A thousand years before the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, David prophesied that this will be the case until Jesus comes back and take His children home to heaven. I want you to turn with me, please, to Psalm 2. A thousand years before God became flesh in Bethlehem of Judea, David prophesied of the supremacy of Jesus. Only those who bow to Jesus, only those who serve Jesus, only those who are committed to Jesus 
are going to rejoice and are going to be saved eternally. But those who will be deceived and let themselves be deceived by Satan's lie, those who are enraged against Jesus and His supremacy in the world, they will suffer eternally. I don't say that with joy, a pain in my heart. But I'm sure some of you know this, but the rest of you will be interested to know that Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's the most quoted psalm. And it's the most quoted psalm to say that this psalm has been fulfilled in Jesus a thousand years later. For example, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 24, the apostle said that Psalm 2 has been fulfilled in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, it says that this psalm has been fulfilled in Jesus. In Revelation 2.27 and also 19.15 says that this psalm, Psalm 2, is fulfilled in Jesus. The first thing you notice in this psalm very clearly that is divided into four sections. Remember, a psalm is a song, and there are four stanzas in this song, Psalm 2. Very clearly divided, four stanzas. And here also you're going to find the clearest teaching of the Holy Trinity in the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament is filled with teaching that God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For example, in the book of Genesis, God said, let us go down and, and let us. How many times is that? Let us. But here is the clearest, without a doubt and without equivocation, teaching Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. And so section one, or stanza one, verses one to three, it talks about man's defiance of God. The second stanza is verses four to six, and it shows us the Father's derision toward that defiance. The third stanza, verses seven to nine, it shows us the Son's dominion, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the fourth stanza, verses 10 to 12, about the Spirit's deliverance. So you get defiance, derision, dominion, and deliverance. I hope you're impressed, because I was. First of all, you see here very clearly man's defiance of God. And the Psalms ask, why? Why? Why do the nations rage and the people conspire and plot against the Lord, why there are hundreds of organizations and lobbying organizations and groups that are organized, that register with the government for the sole purpose of oppressing Christians and Christian morality. Why? Why do so many political leaders in our culture today refer to Christians as out of the mainstream? Why? Now, I, for one, take that as a compliment. But they don't. They take it as an insult. You see, why do so many governments around the world persecute Christians just for being Christians? Why do countries like Saudi Arabia and others feel that the Bible is a threat and therefore they banned it from their country? Why? Why do these different groups that are normally at each other's throat They hate each other. They literally deplore each other. Uh, They 
given half the chance, they would kill each other. And yet they become united in their opposition to the Christian faith and to Christian values and to Christians. Why? I'm going to answer that question. But before I do that, I'm going to show you how they express it, how they express their rage against Jesus, the Anointed One, is by going after His children, by going after His followers. And they call them every name in the book, like bigots and intolerant. They take their evil acts, and they try to stick it to us. (laughs) Now, these groups, like a beehive of unholy industry, they are swarming in the media to denounce the righteous. But why? Because they want to believe in false gods. They want to believe in themselves as gods. They want to believe false religion because they hate the teaching that says that there is only one way to the Father. There is only one plan for salvation. There is only one faith. There is only one doctrine. There is only one heaven. And there is only one Savior. And that's why they don't want that. So, in their arrogance, they refuse to believe that our God is the only true God who tells the sun to shine in the morning, that He is the only one true God that tells the moon to light at night, that He is the only one who tells the rain to fall, that He is the only one who tells the earth to produce fruit. And even more importantly, He is the one who sent His one and only Son, perfect, sinless, to die on a cross for sinners and they don't want that. Romans 1.18 describes it this way, they knew the truth, but preferred to believe in the lie. <laughs> don't you see that we're living that right now? For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature instead of the Creator. Here's something that you need to know. This rage this outrage against Jesus, the Anointed One, and His followers is going to reach its apex, is going to reach its zenith immediately before the return of Christ. And look at it now, and I'm not making any predictions, but just think about this. Fifty years ago, we said, oh yeah, the Christians are persecuted over there. Yeah, the Christians are hated in this country and in that country, and now it's here. You see, it's a global rage. It's a global outrage, and it's sweeping Europe and North America. You see, that's going to be the case as we get closer to the return of Christ. But there is a fallacy that's in the mind of some, including those in the churches, that says that we can have freedom, that we can have liberty without submission to God's authority. There is no such thing. Freedom without God's sovereignty will lead to anarchy, and we're seeing it in the streets of our cities today. Freedom is liberty under authority, and history attests to this fact over and over and over again. Only when people submit to God's authority can they experience true freedom. Why do you think the founders, they understood that perfectly. 
in the founding and in the papers and in the discussions and the debates and in the Constitution. They understood that. That's why Washington said this Constitution, this kind of form of government is only designed for Christians, for people who believe the Bible. Man's defiance. Secondly, the Father's derision toward that defiance. So many professing Christians these days are in total denial of the derision of God. There are many denominations who are actually going through their hymn books, and they're taking out any reference to the wrath of God. Any hymn, anything that talks about the wrath of God, they are removing it. They do not want to believe that God's wrath is coming upon the non-believers, that the coming upon evil, that the wrath of God will be fully exercised. They don't want to believe that. They want to believe in a God who's a milk-toast God. They want to believe in a God who obeys them, you know? They want to believe and they want to think of a God whose grace means that He is clueless and powerless. And for this reason, they cannot accept verse 4 of Psalm 2. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Why? Because our God is far from milk toast. Our God is a God of power and might. Our God is a God who exercises His authority, whether they accept it or not. Our God is a God who rules the universe, whether they like it or not. Our God is the God who controls the events of history, whether they believe it or not. Our God is not sitting on His throne in heaven and wondering, what am I going to do with these people? Actually, some evangelical writers are saying that God doesn't know the future, and that He is going along with us experiencing life like we are. And I want to say, that is not my God. The God I worship is omniscient and omnipresent. The God I worship is the God of power and might. That's the God I worship. He's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands and drinking my lanta and saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? No. <laughs> These people who believe lies over against the truth. No in a million, no. But rather, the Bible said he laughs. But beloved, listen to me. This is not a pleasant laughter. This is not a joyful laughter. This is the laughter of the region. <laughs> they think they can do this? That's what it means. As if God is saying, they think they can get rid of my son. They think they can persecute my children and get away with it. If they think that, might as well let them reach for the sky and pluck the sun out. Let them stop the sun from shining. If they think that, uh, they can reinvent me, or they can remake me in their own image. Let them control the rain and the floods and the hurricanes. Let them put the ocean in a bucket. And here's why I love history. I'm not a history major, but I love history. I read history as a hobby. <laughs> it is the most amazing thing to me it repeats itself with precision, and it goes over and over. You, you see it if you read it in the pages of history, but people are not paying attention. They're not paying attention to history. 
And that's why we keep repeating its mistakes. The Roman Empire was probably the most powerful empire in human history. And it had 30 emperors and governors in its existence. They all distinguished themselves by their zeal to persecute the early Christians. They really did. Here's the history. Of all the 30 emperors and and governors, they all, all of them, died horrible death. Some of them ended up being deranged. Others ended up being physically blind. Others were killed by family members. Others died miserable death in captivity. Others still (laughs) drowned. Others still died with human flesh-eating disease. Others committed suicide. Every one of them died a horrible death, yet the Christian faith marched on. Emperor Diocletian ruled from 284 to 305. He struck a medal for himself that read as follows, Diocletian, Jovian, Maximian, Hercules, Caesar, Augustus, for having extended the Roman Empire east and west, and for having extinguished the name of Christianity who brought the republic ruin. He died a miserable death, and the Christian faith marched on. In 363, one of his later successors, known as Julian the Apostate, he wanted to outdo Diocletian. And so he led his forces all the way into Persia and invaded Persia. But there he was mortally wounded in the battlefield. Lying there in the battlefield, wounded, he takes some of his own blood mixed with the dust, and he flung it to the sky, and he said, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean. And I want to say, Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Not amen, brother. Amen, foolish. Amen to you. And to that, beloved, Jesus will conquer. Don't be intimidated by the wicked. God will always have the last word. They will not. Amen. Amen. And before all of them, there was Nero in 60 A.D., who dipped the Christians in tar and lit his gardens as light for his parties, his garden parties, and he killed the Apostle Paul. No wonder today we call our children Paul. We call our dogs Nero. That's an honor deserved to dogs. Verse 5, he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath. I installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Man's defiance. God the Father's derision. The Son's dominion. Verses 7, 8, and 9. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. The end of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. 
you will rule them with what? So much for the milk toast Jesus. Our God is a God of power and might. He came His first coming in weakness. He will come in strength. He came in humility, but He will rule with an iron scepter on His second coming. Today, it is not news to most of you that the name of Jesus is free for all. It's free for all to cuss and curse, free for all to defame, free for all to deface, free for all to abuse. Free for all to be outlawed from public life except as a curse word. That was never outlawed. But listen, 1,000 years before Christ's incarnation, the Father said of Him, He is my one and only anointed Son. He is the one and only through whom everyone must come to me. He is the one and only way to heaven. He is the only choice for you to have if you ever want to be saved eternally. He is the only one who is going to judge the earth. He's going to judge every single human being on the face of the earth who rejected Him as the only way to the Father. Why? Because from the very beginning of creation, God said the earth is Jesus. It belongs to Him. He owns it. Ah, but you know, if you listen to the pundits, these academics and the Hollywood types and uh, useless business people, <laughs> you know, and, and here's how I see these people, these academics, these pundits, these Hollywood types, the celebrities. I see them as a bunch of squatters. You know, you saw that in the news? Squatters go around and see a house, nobody's in it, nobody occupies it, so they move in. And nobody shows up. If the owner doesn't show up, they basically make themselves at home. And before long, they think they own the house. <laughs> Just because they have not seen the owner with their eyes, they think they own it. Because they have not heard the owner with their ears, they think now they own it. But they're squatters, never owned anything. Uh, so, they become deceived and deceive themselves into thinking they are the owners, because the owner does not exist, or the owner is not interested in his property, that he is not concerned about his property. So they declare themselves to be the owners. And that goes on until the property owner shows up. And make no mistake about it, the owner of the earth is going to show up in person. He's coming back. He's coming back. And I want you to imagine the shocking surprise that they're going to receive, because this is no ordinary owner. This is the God of power and might. This is the God of the universe. This is the God who clicked His fingers, and there was the sun and the moon and the stars. This is the owner of the earth. Just think about this. When the rightful owner shows up, <laughs> think about these poor saps, the squatters who have deceived themselves into thinking that they are the owners. I'm talking about these university campuses that forbids Christians from gathering. I'm talking about those in the seat of power that call Christians out of the mainstream. I'm talking about those who are sitting on judges' bench making foolish judgments. I'm talking about those who think that they're powerful. I'm talking about those in the movie industry. I'm talking about business manipulators and currency manipulators, how they're going to be shocked all of a sudden when they're face-to-face -face with the real owner when he shows up. 
A thousand years before Jesus' incarnation, God declared, this is my Son, to whom the earth belongs. He owns the earth. A thousand years before Christ came in Bethlehem of Judea, God declared, my Son owns the earth. And God the Father declared above the Jordan River when Jesus and John the Baptist got into the water and the Holy Spirit showed up and He said, this is my one and only anointed Son. He owns it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Just because He went away for a while doesn't mean that these squatters are right. They got emboldened because of His patience. And His patience is only an opportunity for them to repent and turn to Him. But they don't understand that. Oh, you just wait till the real owner shows up. When He sits on His throne and judges these squatters unless they repent, and He judges the whole world. You know what the Father is going to say? I told you so. <laughs> it is the Father's will that the Son inherits everything, the new earth and the new heaven. Now, I have a big question to ask you. Do you think Satan knows all of this? Yes. Of course he does. And that is why Satan offered Jesus a shortcut in the wilderness, remember? I'll give you the earth. It's not his, but he said, I'll give it to you. Avoid the cross. Shortcuts. Satan always offering you, oh, be very careful when you fall for his shortcuts. They have bitterness on the other side of it. You know what Jesus said to Satan at that moment? Now, that's a Yusuf interpretation, not even translation. Interpretation. Satan, buzz off. The earth is mine, but I have to obey the Father. And you know what? Had Jesus taken that offer, and he would have taken the earth, none of us could not have been redeemed. But he went to the cross so that he may redeem every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why he had to obey the Father and not take a shortcut. For he said in Psalm 2, 1,000 years, I keep repeating that, before Christ, 1,000 years earlier, he said, ask me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Please, think with me. I want every believer in Jesus, every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, from this moment on, we need to be spending every waking hours to ask the question, how can we claim the nations for our Christ? Now, here's a personal opinion. Listen to me. Know my heart on this. I personally believe with all my heart that the Lord grieves in heaven when He sees His redeemed children have vision for everything in life, from retirement plans to vacation plans to life plans, and they plan nothing in their obedience to the Great Commission. I believe the Lord is grieving when His redeemed think more about their recreation 
than the rebirth of sinners. I believe that with every ounce of my being, that His redeemed think more about those few years that we have here on earth, whether it be 50 or 100, than where they will be spending their forever, their eternity. Ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Beloved, unless we wake up in time to this calling in mission, we're going to get to the point where it could be too late. And I'm not really sure if we haven't crossed that already. Man's defiance of God, the Father's derision over that defiance, the Son's dominion, fourthly and finally, the Spirit's deliverance. Some years ago, I did a series on the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. I called it, Know Your Best Friend. The Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. Why know your best friend? Listen to me. Because the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God, He is the one who called and called and called and called us until we responded. He is the third member of the Trinity who is calling sinners today, even now. Come. Come to the Father through the Son. He is calling through relatives, through friends, through every one of us. He is saying to everyone who would listen, turn to the Son while you can. Come to the Son so that the Father may accept you. Come to the Son. Come to the Father through the Son that He may accept you. Look at verse 12 with me, please. I'm getting close to the end. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The construction of this sentence could read this. Kiss the Son, lest the Father, because it says He, but it's referring to the Father. Kiss the Son, lest the Father be angry. Bow to the Son, or face the Father's wrath and judgment. And notice here the Holy Spirit has a threefold appeal. Threefold. He appeals to our mind, He appeals to our will, and He appeals to our emotions. He appeals to our mind. Be wise. Be wise. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Secondly, He appeals to the will. Serve or obey the Lord out of reverence. And finally, He appeals to the heart. Kiss the Son. Give up your pride, lest your pride would trip you. Give up your indifference before it's too late. Give up your independence before you regret it. Kiss the Son. After all, He kissed you first when He hung on that cross. Why? Because now, today, this moment, He is speaking in grace. But the day is coming when He will speak in judgment and in wrath. Don't be deceived by those who said everybody's going to make it in the end. Don't be deceived. And don't judge things the way you appear to your physical eye. <laughs> but rather, develop 
a God-sized vision while there is time. Be an ambassador of the King, which He called you to be. Grasp His vision and His purpose for your life and embrace it and obey it, and you will be blessed. Kiss the sun. Mm-hmm.